Yay! Good morning. Yay! Good morning. We don't have a bumper video, so <laughs> I take them off when we're ready. <laughs> so hi, I'm Val, and I'm really excited to be here today. I'm excited to be here in this physical place uh, with you all. The spring is such a wonderful season, and just really fills us with hope and, and excitement. And I'm feeling out completely feel like the sun on your skin, the breeze, and hearing the birds is, is doing that for you as well. So even though we're in a new location for the next two months, we are staying in um, our series right now, Daily Living with Jesus. And I'm sorry you can't see the graphics that we have, but this will do. And this whole series has been in the book of James and all about practical wisdom for daily life, walking with Jesus. And we've learned so far about how life with Jesus can't just be inward-facing. It can't just be about ourselves. I've learned how natural it is for sin to be a part of our human experience, and sin being anything that causes us to turn away from God. I've learned that life with Jesus isn't just about avoiding sin, but about running towards Jesus. Sam Schmidt last week, or the week before, says we don't want to be zombie Christians just going through life trying to avoid the bad. Uh, we want to be looking at what is good and that's Jesus. So today we're, we're going to look at James chapter 4 and instead of just reading it all by myself, um, I have my friend Riley here to read it with us. We're going to do a little tag scene um, as we go. And if you feel like turning to it, James chapter 4, we're reading from NIV. It's definitely not as important for you to know. So here we go. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, 
If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. As we were, as Riley and I were talking about who's going to read my section, we were kind of breaking it down. Just this morning, she said, this doesn't make any sense. I said, I know. <laughs> so let's see what we can make sense of together as we think about, about James chapter 4. So most of what I want to talk about is from just the last few verses, which in my Bible is labeled as boasting about tomorrow. But I think that section doesn't make quite as much sense if we don't understand what's happening before it. So we're just going to take a quick look at those verses um, leading up to the final section. So is giving us a bit of a wake-up call here. He is calling his brothers and sisters to step out of their own heads for a moment, um, to look around. He's asking them to stop wanting what everyone else has, to stop judging, to stop chasing comforts of the world. He's asking them to just settle down for a second. And as we read these verses and other sections of James, we can see some parallels with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Phrases like verses 2 and 3, You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. It sounds like when Jesus was teaching about how committing things in our hearts is the same as committing them for real. I love how James uses Jesus' very teachings to guide his own letter instead of making up something new. And James is asking this community of believers to acknowledge their own shortcomings and their own need for grace. He's wanting them to recognize their own sin, this natural human condition. And when we read it, we can think the same for ourselves. We can see how James's promptings can speak directly to us now in ways that we can connect with, with what he's asking and what he's saying. One thing that I think is really important to notice about James and what he's what he's teaching, just not just in the section but the whole book leading up to it, is that he isn't just saying don't sin. He isn't just saying stop doing bad. He's reminding us that there is grace from God and that there's space to be humble before God and that our focus should be on God and that the rest of our life will go from there. So this whole section leading up to boasting about tomorrow is pointing to all of these ways where dissatisfaction can be expressed. How our pride and comparison and judgment comes from an unsettled and discontent and distracted place in our hearts. These people that James is writing to are not satisfied with their lives. They're living and looking elsewhere to find some satisfaction. 
And in this specific section in chapter 4, he's warning them against taking their lives into their own hands. They're making plans to move and live and work and make money or live in this or that or do this or that, as, as the verses say, uh, without taking those steps with Jesus. When we get to verse 13, the start of this boasting about tomorrow section, James is calling out his brothers and sisters for living life in their own way and for letting that discontentment and that distraction of looking around sneak in and change the way that they are making decisions and living their life, their lives. I like to think to if the people reading James's letter were now and like had Instagram and had an uninterrupted access to other people's highlights of their lives and how if they were comparing themselves back then imagine how overwhelmed they would be with comparing their lives now I imagine them thinking if only I lived then I'd be or if only I moved out of the city and bought land and then I could understand what real peace and quiet is or I can't believe that girl I went to high school with is already a mother of two. Am I behind in life? Or that couple hasn't been dating for as long as us and they got engaged. Do we need to hurry? There are nonstop opportunities for comparison and discontentment to weasel into our lives. We can scroll all day and find something to be unhappy about with exactly where we are and exactly what we're doing. There's this sense that there's always something else out there and that we should be looking for it or wanting it or pursuing it. So what do we do when we feel this discontentment that James is talking about? And what happens when we are comparing and judging? We start to make plans and we start to build the lives we think we need or we're supposed to have. In verses 13 through 15 it says, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So James isn't telling us to not make plans. He isn't scolding people for looking to the future. I think this comes at an interesting time with graduation and moving and next stages of life. James isn't saying don't plan or don't look ahead. He's telling us to open it up to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or that, or live in this or that city, as we're looking forwards. So last week, Sam Schmidt introduced us to some characters that he has noticed throughout James, chapters 2 and 3. He introduced us to faith without works, Fred, and not-so-good teacher Ted, Earthly Earl, Faith is Made Complete Felicia, Wise Wilma, and Peaceful Pearl. And I loved how those characters helped us connect to the passages and what James 
was teaching. And I think we all know or are or have been many of those characters at different times. If you haven't watched his sermon from last week, I do recommend because it's helpful. And so this week I want to add two more characters to that list as we're opening up into James chapter 4. The first one is, we'll call him Phil of the Future, which is a name you may recognize if you're watching Disney Channel from 2004-2006. I'm seeing some nods. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that Phil of the Future, the 22nd century man. Um, I'm talking about a different Phil of the Future who James was probably writing to in, in this last section of chapter 4. Phil of the Future might be a lot like how some of us feel sometimes, especially, like I said, end of semester, transitioning in life. Phil the Future is always looking at what's next. He's always preparing for his next move or step in life. He talks openly about his plans, like he knows that nothing could possibly change, that he's in control. He's keenly aware of what's bigger and better out there and how he can get it. He's exhausted from constantly weighing his options for what to do and at what time. I'm sure we can all think of times when we have felt like this. So focused on what's ahead that we miss what's now. We miss what Jesus is doing in our lives presently. And a beautiful thing about this passage is that James tells us to invite Jesus into our processing and planning which I think is something we learn at any transition point in life. The first major experience I had with this was when I was a senior in college. I started my senior year knowing that I was going to work in professional ministry. I knew I was going to live in Virginia, which is where my college was, and I knew I was going to crush it. And Midway through the year, I sort of on a whim went to a conference of outdoor educators who were connected to my on-campus recreation job. And at this conference, I ended up falling in love with the field. And I felt this release of the plans that I had been making for myself and felt this prompting to pursue this other field for the first time. It was wild and unsettling. I remember calling Eddie saying, I think I'm supposed to move to Minnesota. And he said, wow. <laughs> and I called my parents and said, I think I'm supposed to go to grad school. And they said, wow. <laughs> and I ended up finishing my senior year and moving to Minnesota, of all places, never thought I would live there, and going to grad school, of all things, that I was not expecting I would do. And it was an absolutely wild experience for me, and it really changed who I am today. And so I'm so glad that I decided to open my hands and my mind and my heart to situation instead of holding on so closely and so tightly to the plan that I already had that was going to be awesome. I have another story. But I think I'm going to save it because it's about my grandparents who rock. So I'll tell it another time. And I'm going to have a sip of water. Look at all my friends.
<laughs> Nothing like it. So when we think about contentment, we think about our plans, we think about trying to keep our perspective on Jesus, we can see that daily living with Jesus isn't just about avoiding making plans, looking at the future, but looking at positive actions we can take in our present. About the next best thing out there, but about trying to of the current So we've added Phil of the Future to our lineup of characters in James. And another character I want to introduce is our friend, fitting for being at a UNC or a university town. Our friend, the Professor of the Present. We love the good alliteration. And our Professor of the Present helps us when we need to be grounded in the moment, when we're needing support as we feel ourselves getting too focused on driving towards the future. Professor of the Present encourages us to do a few things when we start to feel ourselves wander too far ahead on our own, like their office hours. The professor tells us to look around and see who we can connect to in this moment, who's sitting next to us. What relationships are able to be tended and nurtured right here? This professor opens our eyes to opportunities to serve and be connected to the community where we're living. The professor highlights areas where we can learn more about God right now instead of waiting until we've arrived at our next step. The professor reminds breath and tells us that the spirit is nearer to us than each inhale and exhale we take. That's good. The professor shows us how to schedule slower times in our busy weeks to rest and spend time with Jesus. And our professor points us to scripture like James 4 to read, or the book of Ecclesiastes, or a section of Matthew 6 that all can help us ground in the present. The professor plays the song that you might have learned in Sunday school as a child that tells us that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in this very day, not all of the ones to come. We can all use a lesson in being present from the professor. One thing I want to point out about this section of scripture is how James descri describes life as mist and how I don't think he's using the word mist here to remove any sort of meaning from our lives. He's not saying our lives are insignificant, but he's reminding us of how suddenly we can be here and then not and grounded in the present and to tell us that life can't always be about what's next, that it's too fragile to only look ahead. So this idea of mist reminds me of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament that describes how fleeting life can be. And 
the Hebrew word that's used throughout that book, which I learned from our friends at the Bible Project, is hevel, which is difficult to translate into English. And a lot of Bible translations have different, different translations of the word um, to describe the mist-like quality of life. And thinking of mist makes me think of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, which is a section of scripture that is an anchor for me that I read whenever I don't know what to read. All about Jesus reminding us that we are okay in this moment and that being in the present is natural and that we're provided for. All this in and and maybe even a little intense and it's given me a lot to about and wonder about and process so you might be familiar with all these ideas and and things to think on so i wanted to give our brains a little break and do a little activity to include our bodies as we're learning about james chapter four we're going to stay in our seats we're not going to play Red Rover in the field or anything. <laughs> um, so let's just take a moment and you can keep your eyes open or close and whatever makes you feel more comfortable. Just set whatever you're holding down in your and just have your hands open. Now hold tightly up to your close. And think about whatever future plan you might have on your horizon, anything you've been stressing or anxious about, this or that city, this or that circumstance, something you've been focused on, just hold it in your hands really tight, really close. Now I want you to start to lower your hands and begin to open your clenched fists and just lay your hands open on your knees or in your lap or above, wherever. And as you're doing this, feel the release of those plans. And feel the relief of opening your hands to what Jesus can do. This expression of our hands being open like this is such a beautiful posture to be in. There's so much meaning to being like this and living like this. First, we're releasing to Jesus what we want to be doing. We're giving that up. But having our hands open like this, we're also open to receive from Jesus what he's giving back to us. And of whoever's next to us, so we aren't walking alone. You don't have to grab the person next to you, but you could, and your hands are open for it. Um, we're also open to others to join us as we go. So when you're noticing yourself feeling so full of the future, looking ahead, you can take a moment and do that exercise. The physical thing is helpful. Um, and remember the beauty of being open like this and walking like this. So feel free to keep your hands like this as Justin gets ready to lead us to the invitation to the table. You can also put your hands back wherever you want. Um, thank you for having me.
I love the posture to receive. That this is a space for us to receive. That all of this, right, as we step into the Arboretum each week over these next a space for us to breathe deep with whatever we are carrying in life God is ready to meet us whether you are joining us online at home or in this space I just want to invite you right now just take that posture of open handedness and just breathe deep That God is even closer than that. God is even closer than we can hardly even perceive his nearness to us. And it's because of his great love for us. So in his love for us, we find not that we just need Jesus, but we desire him. He becomes a friend that we can walk and talk with. So it's about relationship. It's about our orientation, the orientation of our lives. To be in relationship with God and to be in relationship with one another. And so as we come to the table today remembering his sacrifice for us, that his body was broken, his blood was poured out, and he took on death. But that wasn't the last word because we celebrate his resurrection. And as we come to the table with him in his resurrection, receiving and mercy 